danger is stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's Hello and welcome to episode 315 of the Thinking Poker Podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus, joined by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts. Happy New Year, Nate. Happy New Year. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been yeah, it's been a very long time. And when we were talking a lot, you were like living with me, so it was like tons of Andrew, and then basically no Andrew. Yeah, so, uh, I'm, in, I'm in Nate withdrawal. Yeah, 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 and uh, and 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 IU and IU. So it's great to talk to you. How how, how have you been? Uh, I've I've been very well, and I guess, well, I guess I should say it's it's nice to uh, to talk to our listeners as well. I know uh, I, I I feel bad anyway that we have not had uh, a new episode out in a while. Although the last one we had was a great one. I mean, I imagine most people have found this already, but it was me in person with Carlos, which is just a fantastic uh experience so uh definitely if you enjoy the thinking poker podcast at all make sure you listen to that one but that's been about a month since that came out so uh we had one episode from the archives that showed up on there but uh, i'm sorry this is i think the longest we've ever gone without a new episode and it was just kind of a a couple of things coming together at once but mostly just busyness surrounding the holidays Yep, I really enjoyed that last one as a listener, and I regret not having put out more stuff as a maker. Uh, but we're back. We're back. Yeah, we're doing it right now. This is it. This yeah. is the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, it was uh, a pretty poker-filled. Uh, well, not poker-filled, but like I've done a decent amount of, but like a decent amount of my busyness was poker in addition to like holiday-related travel. So I was like. I was with you right before Thanksgiving, and then I came down to Maryland to see my family for Thanksgiving, and then I went down to Cherokee, which is when I did the recording with uh, Carlos, and then came back up here for Christmas, and then actually I was in um, New York for a long weekend with one of my oldest poker buddies, and I was thinking how neat it is. I mean, obviously there's like a lot of different things that bring people together. Poker's not the only one, and you've kind of had observations like this with you know me, me playing with your son, but um, that I was like, you know, th- this guy you know showed up initially this guy was i mean so so i played like 15 years ago in a game at harvard law school because my college roommate who was also the guy who sort of got into poker with me he was uh a student at at harvard law school and he started this game so it was like me and a bunch of harvard law school students playing in this game and uh, this other guy, Darren, was was also, I mean, he was just like a guy who showed up at the game, essentially. And then over time, through playing poker with him, I kind of got to be friends with him. And then he and Logan both moved to New York. So then when I would go to New York to visit my Logan, the guy who was my my college roommate who had started the game, I would also visit Darren when he was in New York. And then eventually Darren moved to Westchester and he got a big house and it became like more convenient to visit Darren than to visit Logan. So I was like, I started going to visit Darren and staying with him. And then I would just you know, see, see the, the guy who was originally the, uh, the, the closer friend. I, I started to see him a bit less and then Darren had kids. And, and I was like 15 years later and his like daughters, you know, I'm like, 
playing with his kids and just like this like weird chain of events that kind of got set off by a guy like showing up at a poker game i guess yeah 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 no it's amazing i mean i was thinking the other night about um how different my life would be um I mean, not like completely different, but really quite different. If like one or the other of us had taken a beat in in <laughs> that's right in that that one. I mean, because like we just like you know we, we we became poker friends. Like we just got dinner every day during that main event uh, when we were both running like fairly deep, and it was just I don't know that like I, I would not have sent you that email being like uh, oh. Hey, you know how you interviewed me for a podcast that doesn't actually exist? Why don't we make a podcast together <laughs> that does exist? <laughs> and, but like, I don't know, like how many how many all ins or like other coolers that could easily have happened but didn't happen, including bluff coolers? Uh, did did we have to pay? <laughs> Probably a lot. So I'm happy about that. But yes, also some guy shows up to your poker game and now you're like hanging out with his kids. So. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, this isn't really on the same scale, but like there was this thing, it's called the, the Maryland State Poker Championships. It's really more like the Maryland Live Poker Championships. Like there's no there's no Maryland State Poker Commission that like sanctions these things. But it is kind of fun because it's like a series of tournaments and it's mostly regulars from Maryland Live, which is sort of, especially when like I'm only here part of the year, it's a good opportunity to like see all these people that I'm sort of poker but most of them aren't really people i talk with outside of poker but just a bunch of people are like oh it's that guy it's her it's it you know just like all yeah, these yeah, all yeah. people that you see in, in a poker room so it's a nice like community of that and everyone kind of you know it, when you make a final table or whatever you know most of the other people at the final table and even when you don't or you know there, there's people hanging around and checking in to see how they're doing and sweating their friends it's just like a big community sort of uh, sort of event so the the main event was friday and uh, I, I bagged on the day one A of uh, the main event on Friday, and it was about 10 p.m. And I was like, oh, this is nice. It's like, you know, we're finishing up kind of early for a main event, get home, get a nice day of sleep, enjoy my day off on Saturday, come back and play on Sunday. And then as I'm walking out, I see this dude who's like one of my favorite Mary Maryland area poker players who I had not seen. And I was like, oh, hey. And like 12 hours later, I finally left the casino. Like, it was. Yeah, just like running to him. Then he was like, "Oh, let's start a five ten game." And I was like, "Oh, sure." I mean, I'm probably not going to stay too late. Probably the five ten won't even start because it rarely does at Maryland Live. But it'll be nice to hang out with you for a little bit anyway. And then if the game's no good, I'll just go home. And then uh, the five ten turned into a five ten twenty five and ran all night. And you know, <laughs> next next thing, it's like nine a.m. and I'm finally getting home. You know, it's so that's, just, uh, craziness. Yeah. yeah, that escalated quickly. Jot JPEG. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, but that's like. I feel like that's like part of the fun, especially because when it's like your buddies that you're playing with, because I probably wouldn't have enjoyed, even if I had stayed up all night, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it that much, except that it was like, it was also a fun game. In addition to being like a profitable opportunity, we were also just like having a lot of fun, which is yeah. probably part of what made it a profitable opportunity. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, a, just a nice experience. No, that's great. I mean, that's definitely one of the fun parts of doing poker professionally. Um, and one of like the delightful, weird parts, like you really... That's a day when you really cash in on being a poker pro. That's that's uh, yeah, very cool. So similar kind of experience. Um, day two was yesterday, Sunday, and uh, I ended up. I was. I don't remember the exact number. But I had something like eighty some people were coming back. I was like 
top 15 or top 20 with 41 getting paid. I ended up like 45th. So kind of a frustrating finish after you're coming in 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 pretty good shape and feeling like I was one of the better players in the field and then ended up bubbling. So it was a little frustrating. Then there was enough of a 510 list that I was like, yeah, it's still pretty early in the day. I guess I'll get on the 510 list, play some two fives, see what happens. Um, And then I just ran like super hot at two five right out of the gate. And there's a decent chance I made more money. Like, I don't think I made the EV of my stack, but like, there's a decent chance that I made more money bubbling than I would have if I, had, I mean, I definitely made more money than I would have if I had just like min cashed. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, there's so many different ways to run good. Like it's, it's easy to get tied up and just focus on the like, oh, it was frustrating to bubble. It was frustrating to like lose that flip or whatever. But, you know, it quite possibly it was like one of the more profitable uh, branches of the, like yeah. the possibility tree for me. Yeah. And yeah. Um, is a neat. So like last year, Maryland Live did this promotion that was like specific to 510 where they had a, a drawing based on the number of hours of, of 510 that you played. And that was a fun one because I won it. But um, yeah. the one that they're doing this year is uh, and I don't have any tickets in this, but it's it's still kind of interesting to see how the whole poker room is responding to it. It's like for every. I think like every 50 hours that you played over a certain period of, I don't even know what the period of time was, um, but for every 50 hours that you played over this period of time, you got a single ticket and a drawing. And then they've been doing the drawings like every 20 minutes on Sundays, I think. Um, I've, I don't know all the details because I'm not actually, I don't have any tickets in, in the drawing. But uh, another friend, uh, Aaron Pinson, was sitting in, in this 2-5 game that I was playing in and he pointed out and then i realized as i like examined the room that this was true that you know, at this point it's like 10 o'clock at night they started doing these drawings at 11 a.m and you know no one wants to leave when there's a chance that they're gonna their name is gonna get drawn for a thousand dollars like even though the ev of of that happening is actually pretty slim you know like if you were to go home you're probably only giving up like I don't know, five dollars in EV or something in terms of like, but it's just like it would be such a frustrating experience for people if their name and you you would one hundred percent hear about it. Like you're oh, totally, yeah. Who's in the poker room and like they're gonna delight in telling you that you missed. They're they're, they're they're gonna text you immediately. Immediately, yeah, 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 yeah. Up on the screen, like, can you get here in three minutes? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, like you don't make it, and they text you photos, and like <laughs> the guy who does win it, they're gonna text you a photo of that guy. Like you yeah. don't, yeah. That guy's gonna thank you. Like there's just. there's there's way too much loss uh aversion tied up here so you know like no one no one's leaving but most of these people are not accustomed to playing poker for 11 hours straight that's right and so it's just like the this whole room is just losing their minds right now like everybody's everybody's over it no one can quit and go home like it was and then like once i started sort of like feeling the vibe of the room i was like oh yeah this is really true there's a lot of (laughs) a lot of frustration there's a lot of people kind of getting up and walking around there's a lot of sort of like slap happy it's just like a funny i I, I don't know that i've ever seen an entire room full of poker players on tilt before (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah yeah it's 10 p.m everyone's antsy everyone's antsy yeah or or worse Good. And like full room. I mean, it's what like, obviously, if you're in a casino at 3 a.m., there's a lot of sort of like tilty, slap happy people. But there's also probably only like 20 people in the room. But, you know, when, when like the room is packed and it's packed with people who are all over it, it's just a funny. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm not sure I can think of like a situation like that. I mean, maybe maybe back in the day before the before smartphones, like 2004, 2005, being at Foxwoods during like a busy Friday or Saturday night when there was also a big Red Sox Yankees game on, um, like 
that's a room full of like tilty Boston sport. Like, <laughs> like that, there, there was a lot of like that's the closest. That's like the closest psychological equivalent I can come up with, and it doesn't involve you know like like nobody's gonna. Well, I, mean, I guess a lot of them would would win or lose money, but a lot of the tilts had nothing to do with that. But right. like, I just I, I have some very specific memories of like just a very large Foxwoods room full of like very, very, very antsy people. <laughs> so. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of now. Um, you know, Tommy Angelo has some stories about playing on a riverboat where there were, and I guess a number of rooms have this where they close at a certain hour and you have to stop playing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've never directly experienced that. I guess the, the time that we did that live coaching event with the uh, just hands poker guys, we saw a little bit of this cause people were playing in four hour sessions and we did see in the last hour that some people would kind of uh, yeah. play in a way that they were not playing during the first three hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So shout I, out, shout out friend of the friend of the podcast from Houston. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> You're also a legend. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've I've never directly experienced that, but I feel like that might be a kind of similar vibe where uh, just like the the entire mood of of the room, like every single person in the room, like their their mood is shifting in sort of the same direction. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. Thanks to our strategy sponsor, Tournament Poker Edge. If you want to get an edge in your state poker championship or any other event, check out tournamentpokeredge.com for as little as $25 a month. You can get access to thousands of videos, uh, well over 100 of them made by myself and quite a few more made by uh, people who have been guests on this show over time or who are just otherwise great poker minds. All different stakes, all different formats, live, online. Check it out at tournamentpokeredge.com. Here's a fun hand that's, uh, well, I find it fun. I imagine Mark didn't enjoy it. Um, (laughs) Sent to us from Mark. This is a 25 no limit uh, six max zone poker hand from Bovada. So uh, 10 cent, 25 cent game. Uh, and it's Bovada, so it's anonymous. He doesn't have uh, HUD or player info. <clears throat> Our hero here is under the gun at a six-handed table, which would mean he's functionally the the low jack. Uh, villain one is in the hijack, and villain two is in the big blind. Um, our hero has 120 big blinds. The villain one in the hijack covers the hero, but villain two in the big blind has 73 and a half big blinds. So the effective stack is either 73 and a half or 119, depending on who we end up getting uh, involved with. <clears throat> Here is under the gun with pocket sevens and opens to 60 cents, which is 2.4 big blinds. I think this is a perfectly good opening size. This is actually one of the worst pairs that I would suggest opening in early position. Like I think at least in a, in a tough game and or a high rate game, um, I wouldn't really want to be opening like, twos threes fours under the gun but uh, i think sevens is like pretty solidly better than those probably even sixes is all right so i do think people probably err in playing too many pocket pairs uh in early position but i think sevens solidly belongs in there so i don't see anything to reproach about the uh, pre-flop action so far yep uh villain one who's in the hijack 
three bets to 7.6 big blinds or a dollar 90 so here open to 60 cents uh villain one makes it a dollar 90 the big blind cold calls and the hero calls mark says i see no reason to raise uh i might could get um I might could get behind a fold if you had reads that both players were extremely tight, but with no reads, I call. Uh, the hijacks range should be extremely strong to raise an under-the-gun bet. Um, probably something like jacks plus, queen-jack suited plus, ace-queen offsuit, maybe some low-suited aces. Um, and the big blinds range for overcalling a three-bet, uh, probably pocket pairs, two Broadway cards, uh, mostly suited, maybe ace-king offsuit, suited aces some of the better suited connectors um since big blind has less than a full stack he's probably a weaker player who would have the suited connectors and maybe some offsuit broadways in his range um i personally do not have a cold calling three bet range and generally find it in weaker players i like that analysis yeah i think it's a little loose like i think both those ranges are a bit loose and i would only make a slight sort of bayesian updating on the stack size like a lot of people just don't update their stacks and some of them are some of them are good and a lot of them are not so good. And, and yeah, I, I would just say like maybe it's a little bit looser than the rest of the player pool because this person's playing three quarters of a stack. Um, as for the hijack range, like I heard some stuff like queen jack suited plus and those will three bet you sometimes, but I think a hand like say king queen king jack suited will often just call a raise um and i think a lot of those suited aces and and broadway cards will will not cold call the three bet um they will sometimes they won't a lot of the time so i would just i would just sort of smooth out those ranges and say that you know some players have tighter ranges and some players have weaker ranges and you see some diversity in 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 those at uh 25 nl and shrug (laughs) that's what i would do (laughs) I, I will say regarding the topping off, I mean, I don't know for sure about Bovada, but I'd be surprised if they didn't have an auto top off feature that yeah. all of the most serious players are using. So yeah. I think like the, the simple fact that he doesn't have auto reload ticked is telling us something. Sure. But then like if he is playing without auto reload, like is he maybe going to tighten up a little bit? Like is he going to call off, you know, more of a stack with like a seven suited? And, you know, some players might, some players, you know, like it might make it a little more likely. I just... I just, you know, uh, small, you know, nothing story time. Um, I just remember a high stakes player analyzing a heads up hand like, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And starting off by saying, you know, when I'm readless heads up, I assume that the other guy is opening 100%. And it's like, okay, maybe it doesn't make a big difference, but that's just a basic analytical error because the player pool does not open 100%. And even if the modal player does, like you just shouldn't assume that, you know, deuce 3 offsuit is being opened 100% of the time there. You should assume that it's being opened, you know, 3 quarters of the time there or whatever portion of the player pool it is. And it, it that that felt like a bit of uh sloppy thinking. Um and yeah, I think this, that's kind of how I read Mark's comment that he was yeah. saying like those things are possibilities or that you know he's giving somewhat more i I didn't i didn't read him to be saying like king jack offsuit is definitely in the big blinds cold calling range i i felt like it was more of a there's some indication that this is a weaker player who might be calling with that kind of hand all right in that case good job mark but uh (laughs) less good job all the other people who email us and give uh, uh, unrealistically specific range fair enough fair enough yeah but but we love you for emailing and you're doing great (laughs) 
Okay, so our action so far is our hero opens under the gun at a six-handed table to a 10-cent, 25-cent 20, table to 60 cents. The hijack three bets to a dollar 90 the big blind calls and the hero overcalls with pocket sevens so we go to the flop with five dollars and 80 cents in the pot and the flop is seven of hearts king of hearts nine of clubs so our hero has pocket sevens uh big blind checks hero checks which i think is pretty uncontroversial but i'm curious if you want to make a case for uh for betting here yeah, what am I going to say? I'm going to say this, you know, which I say a lot in these kinds of spots. Like, do you want to have a betting range? Forget that you flopped a set for a second. Do you want to have a betting range here? Uh, king, nine, seven, two-tone. Like, would, you know, it, you're going to have some flush draws, uh, but the pot's so big, you might want to check-raise some of those. Like, you're not going to connect with this flop all that much, like, in a way that you want to bet against... Um, a, a, a pre-flop three better, like that king really helps the pre-flop three better. So I don't know, like if the two cards, if the two other cards were like right next to each other, and if you could have the relevant suited connectors that would give you like more draws and all the sets that the other person wouldn't have, then maybe you have like a nuts advantage and you can play your straight draws better. Um, so like you can have nines and sevens more easily than the three better can. Um, on the other hand. The big blind can have some of those hands. Like, I think I don't have a betting range here, but I could imagine some good players having a betting range here. So, like, I'm checking. I'm checking. But if somebody said, like, hey, uh, big blind could easily have a looser range, I'm going to have some one-pair hands. Like, I'm opening some suited connectors that turned into one-pair hands um, that I don't really want to check and call. Uh... I, I I have sets that the other person doesn't have. Like, I still think we're a bit too shallow for that, but, like, I could see it not being bad. But I check. It's a long way of saying I check. Yeah, my advice to listeners would be you should have a pretty strong default towards checking here. I think it's... I mean, I really have no idea what, like, a, a multi-way solver would do in this situation, like, whether it would have a leading range, but it's very hard for me to imagine that there's a significant EV gain from that at equilibrium, meaning if you don't have, you know, some kind of thing in mind that you're trying to exploit, I think it's a, you know, a very safe, easy to balance, easy to implement strategy of just checking range in this situation, and I think it's going to be, like, well within the bounds of, uh, you know, good, solid winning play. Um if you have a very good idea of like what you're doing, and especially if there's a particular thing that you uh, believe that you can exploit by leading, then you know by all means develop that leading range. But if you are have, like just kind of have some doubt or sort of like, well, I don't really know what these guys are doing, or like just check. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's it's a it's a much like safer thing to do. Also, like in this game, what's a likely mistake that 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 the re-raiser is going to make? See betting too much exactly. on this board. Yeah. And what do we have? We have a set. <laughs> so what should we do if we if we're going to be exploitive? Like we should uh, we should err on the side of not betting. So like this is a situation where I would not bet, um, and I have extra reasons to not bet. So I am not betting. I'm checking. And and just to be crystal clear, my advice is not always check your sets or always slow play your sets. Uh, it's more like check to the preflop raiser when in doubt. Is is a, a particularly in this situation where I think the board texture is um, 
is one that's like pretty favorable for the the preflop raiser, and I think there's a fair chance. Like if the flop were you know seven eight nine, there might be more. I wouldn't want to lead sevens there for different reasons. If the flop were like five six seven, there might be more of a reason for like having a leading range. But on a board where it's like there's quite a few strong hands for the preflop raiser to have. I think that default of checking to the raiser, like there's a reason that has emerged as the default. Like that's one of the things that the the hive mind of the poker world has mostly gotten right even before Salvers came along to confirm. Yep. Um, so our hero does check, and the uh, hijack ends up checking behind. Mark says, I flopped my set and was ready to check raise, but when villain checks, I think his range looks more like pocket jacks, pocket queens, uh, ace 10 suited, ace queen suited, queen jack suited, ace jack suited. I think he bets his king x hands, maybe checks some pocket kings or pocket ace, uh, especially if he has the ace of hearts. Yeah, I mean, that all sounds about right to me with the caveats that, you know, we should say things like he's more likely to have these hands when he checks and less likely to have king x but i think like broadly speaking that's sort of what should happen when someone checks as their range gets a good deal more uh, condensed and overall a bit weaker because they have a lot of incentive to bet their strongest hands and some of their weakest hands as well yep <clears throat> um, i would say we have very little information about the big blinds range so far like he very well may just be i mean we have whatever information we got from his cold call pre-flop but i think the post-flop action has not really defined his range at all there's a good chance that he's just checking his entire range on the flop i agree so the turn brings the ten of hearts we still have five dollars and eighty cents in the pot our hero still has pocket sevens the board is king of hearts nine of clubs seven of hearts and now ten of hearts on the turn big blind leads for uh, $2.76 into the pot of $5.80, so just over half pot, and um, the action is on the, the hero. This strikes me as just about the worst turn card that could come. It's real bad. It's real bad. Like, 10 and Jack are both pretty bad. Yeah, like the Jacks third are hard also. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing about the jacks is that, like, the cold collar and the three better can both easily have them, and, like, tens are a little more likely for the first person just to call. I think I wouldn't raise here, and I wouldn't fold. Um, I think I would call. Yeah, I think we can we can certainly take folding off the table. Um, I think there are some people who kind of overreact in this situation and raise because... Well, I guess there's a few things. I mean, what, there's some obvious stuff you'd still like to protect your hand against, like... There are now some hands that could have gut shots. Obviously, like there's one card straight draws out there. Uh, sorry, one card flush draws. I think particularly when it comes to the Ace of Hearts, it's like on the one hand, it's, it's kind of a very present threat. On the other hand, I don't think you can actually protect that well against it. Like it's probably not folding to a raise, which is a, a separate reason to raise because you're ahead of that hand, even if it's like Ace Queen with the Ace of Hearts, you're still ahead. But um, you're not a huge, huge favorite again. Like, you're not making that much money raising against it compared to how much money you're losing when you raise into a flush or straight. Yeah. Uh, and I think people tend to just focus in on one of those possibilities where either they're like, oh, shit, he might have a flush. I better just call. Or they're like, oh, shit, he might have a flush draw. I better raise. And what you really should do is um, weigh those possibilities and yeah. you know, look, look at um, both the ups and downs of, of raising and kind of reach a conclusion about what is overall the um, 
the the better play. And yeah, I think he's so part of the problem is that I don't think the big blind has very many of the kinds of hands that we would like him to have. Like what we'd really like is to be up against the hand like ace king or pocket aces with no heart where we just have them drawing dead and we you know, were like a huge favorite and the big blind is not super likely to have those hands a from the, the preflop cold call and then b betting out here into two people i think also like i, I know there are people who will do that with like even if they got this far with like ace king of spades but um i'm like i think that's overplaying ace king of spades a little bit at this point <laughs> um yeah. So like the fact that he's betting here, I think he's he's far more likely to have a straight or a flush than he is to have or a draw, but that's also not great for us compared to he's not that likely to have the kind of hand that we really want him to have. Um, the preflop raiser is the player we would have rather gotten action from, and you know unfortunately we didn't get that action because he didn't bet the flop. So yeah, I, I think we kind of just have to call and yeah, there's going to be a fair number of like bad river cards and uncomfortable river situations, but like raising the turn and getting jammed on is also a pretty uncomfortable situation yeah yeah yep uh our hero does call and the hijack calls behind mark says uh when big blind leads i didn't even mention this but this is important too he said when big blind leads he could have a set of nines a set of tens uh there's two combos of ten nine suited though those are maybe not in his preflop range um he could have a pair for kings pocket jacks or pocket queens queen jack uh flush nine eight of hearts or ace jack of hearts um he says that may be a mistake to put those in his preflop range um i do think he well, then he says, I think he bets much bigger with a set or two pair, which I don't know. I guess there's, I mean, it would certainly be a mistake for the villain to play that way. I think Mark is probably right that there is some portion of the population that does that, you know, that sort of wants to bet larger when their hand is, is vulnerable. I think that tends to be a theoretical mistake, but I guess he's not hes not wrong about that. Um. Mark says, I think this is where I made the biggest mistake and I should have raised, although you've uh, already kind of heard our analysis on that. And then he says, when the hijack calls behind, um, I think his range is essentially the same as it was on the flop. Pocket queens or jacks, Broadway cards with a straight draw, or AX of hearts that sees no reason to raise with the nuts. Uh, If he did have a set of kings, I think he would raise. I don't know about the queens or jacks being in there. Certainly not unless he has a heart. Um, even with a heart, I think it's kind of a dicey call with like pocket queens or pocket jacks. But I know people hate to give up on those uh, on those pocket pairs. I guess they do have a gut yeah. shot. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like a lot of them do do have a gut shot. Um, Actually, jacks is double gutted. Yeah, and if he like, and if he did three bet ace jack before the flop, people hate to improve their hand and then fold, man. Like, so like, oh, maybe the first guy has, you know, maybe they both I mean, have they, loose pairs. They hate to start with big pairs and fold, period. <laughs> yeah. Or like to fold after checking them because then they're like, oh well, he might be bluffing, but like, maybe they're just betting because I checked. Like, yeah, and it's a mistake, but people do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we go to the river with fourteen dollars and eight cents in the pot. We're still three way. Our hero has pocket sevens. The board is king of hearts, nine of clubs, seven of hearts, ten of hearts, and the river brings the ace of clubs. Big blind goes all in for $13.71 into the $14.08 pot, and our hero is holding a set of sevens. What do you do? I think I'd fold. Like, especially that card just... I mean, I guess he probably wasn't checking behind on the flop with aces. 
Ace of Hearts? Sorry, it was not the Ace of Hearts, right? It's not the Ace of Hearts. It's the Ace yeah, of Clubs. Yeah, yeah. I guess it does make... I guess if, like, the... the uh, but if he has Ace-King, then maybe he's more likely to have Aces. Eesh. This is close. Is this close? Yeah. So, like, over the table, I would find myself thinking that, like, it's either pretty close or it's an easy fold. So, on, on a meta level, I should just fold. Uh, now I think it's a fold. Now I think it's a fold. Because, um, like, the big blind can have so many hands that beat you. And the guy behind you could also have some hands that beat you. Ugh, how often do we need to be good? I just don't think we see a lot of bluffs. Like, if we decide that the first guy can't be bluffing or is really unlikely to be bluffing, then I think it's a fold. And I also think the first guy is really unlikely to be bluffing. <sighs> All right, I'm going to say fold. It's my final answer. What do you think? Yeah, with, with with what frequency do they have it, Nate? Uh, at least an inch. At least an inch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they always have it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, the, the first thing that I would ask myself in this situation, and, and the thing that I think a lot of people get improperly hung up on, is, you know, does it matter that you have a set? Right? I mean, kind of similar, like we were joking about people who are too reluctant to fold just because they had an overpair, or because they had a pocket pair pre-flop. Like, similarly, you shouldn't, like, make bad calls on the river just because you had a hand that was pretty on earlier streets. Like, it's a five card or a seven card game and facing the current action does it actually matter that you have a set right, there are two ways it could matter one is if your opponent is you know, could could be value betting a hand worse than yours i don't see that happening here um it seems awfully ambitious to be trying to go for it with like i don't even know what it would be king 10 i mean like a, it, would, it couldn't even be like that good of a two pair, really, because like I don't really see him potting the turn or you know, half potting the turn, even with like Ace Ten, where he then like rivers two pair. Like I think it's hard for him to even have like a two pair hand that was improved by the Ace. I think it would have to be like not hey, even Ace a Hearts Jack. Good. Ace Hearts Jack. How about that? So then he just has one pair. The turn was a Jack, right? Um, no, turn was a ten. Yeah, ace ten. Sorry, ace ten with oh, ace. Sorry. Ace of hearts ten. He has yeah. ace ten. Yeah, I mean. Sorry, we were talking about jacks on the turn. Yes. Right. Ace no, hearts right. ten. Yeah. But yeah, like, did I he mean, call even with that's... that? Does he like blast off on the turn with that? Then does he also blast off on the river with it? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of you, it's quite quite the parlay, I think. Yeah. Sure. There's quite a few reasons why he shouldn't have that hand. Yeah. Um, and if he if he you know correctly discards it at, at any point in the game tree then uh, that's not gonna be there anymore so i i think essentially like it doesn't matter that much that you have a set like, so i definitely shouldn't be like oh i'm too high up in my range to fold or um you know i i can't fold a set i think you just like set aside all that kind of thinking yeah you have a hand that can beat a bluff so the you know, first question is it doesn't matter in the sense that you know could the villain be value betting a hand worse than mine i think it's basically no i mean there's like there's an outside chance he's overvaluing something but i i think like functionally you have a bluff catcher you have a hand that's gonna um beat bluffs and lose to value bets so then question two is well i mean there's two places you can go with this you can either jump straight to the exploitive which is just do I think this is a situation that he's going to under or over bluff? And I mean, he's not supposed to do a lot of bluffing in this situation in the first place, like jamming into two people, um, either of whom, like neither of you is particularly capped. Like I think flushes, including the nut flush, i.e. the actual nuts is in both 
uh, the hero's range and the hijack's range. Like it's not implausible that either of them has the nuts. So yeah. if the if the the villain the the guy jamming here does not have the ace of hearts in his hand, like there's a real chance someone else out there does have the nuts. So this is a difficult situation for him to bluff. And if he does have the ace of hearts in his hand, I mean maybe just turning it like even if he has a pair of aces like. That probably doesn't have enough showdown value where it wouldn't be unreasonable for him to turn it into a bluff, but I don't know how many people actually do that. I just think it's it's a it's a pretty tough and unlikely spot for him to show up with bluffs, period. Uh, but then even if he does have them, do you have any kind of blocker? Like, are you are you blocking in some important way his value range? And I think the answer there is also no. You don't block any flushes. Um, I don't think pocket sevens really even belongs in his value range. Maybe it does. I guess, like, you're blocking sevens. Like, congratulations. Um, I, I, I don't really feel like there's any particularly good blocker effects going on with this hand. I think, unfortunately, it just doesn't matter that you have a set and um, you're, like, <laughs> indifferent at best. And if anything, it's probably a spot where the population under bluffs or where you're just not supposed to bluff catch with this hand anyway. In a three way pot, more of the burden of bluff catching should be on the player behind you, I think, than on you. Yep. I agree. I agree. I would also just add that you're pretty high up in your range, but not at the top of it. Like you could have nines or tens, um, like very, very easily. So, um, and, and that matters a lot more in multi-way pot. Like I think that's something yeah. else a lot of people don't appreciate is that in multi-way pots you don't do that much bluff catching because like both you and your opponent collectively are kind of making your opponent indifferent or making the, the guy who's shoving indifferent to to bluffing, which means that you shouldn't be calling with like anywhere near the percentage of your range that you would be calling with in a heads up pot, even if you were actually concerned about you know playing in a kind of like balanced equilibrium sort of way it's just like hand value drops off a lot in multi-way pots and i think people like partly because they don't play that many multi-way pots or they're more like it's easier to study heads up pots and so people tend to do that more often but i think a lot of people have their like their gut sense of what a hand is worth is like calibrated for heads up pots and they're not great at adapting in multi-way situations and recognizing that like just because you like never even think about folding a set in a heads up pot like that doesn't mean you shouldn't think about folding a set in a multi-way pot, let alone this would be a reasonable spot to fold a set even in a heads up pot. Yep. Yeah. And for me, there's also an added bit of psychology where when it comes down exactly like King, King nine, seven, um, like I think, Oh, not only did I flop a set, but there are like very plausible second best hands. And so like, I'm sort of in good situation mode. And yeah. like, if I'm sharp, then I update that. But like a, I wouldn't say I always do that. And B, <laughs> I certainly know that other people do not always do that. Um, so, like, you know, uh, just because you were saying bingo on the flop, like sort of double bingo, like you hit your set and in a three-way pot and, you know, somebody else could easily have ace-king or aces. You know, then. But things change. That was two streets ago. Truth. Um, so yeah, our hero did end up folding and the hijack folded as well. So we do technically have results, but they're not very exciting results. Um, the, the hero folded and we did not get to see the villain's hand, but I think it's definitely a correct fold. I think, uh, props are very much due to Mark for making this fold. I know it sucks to fold a set and people don't like to do it. But again, I think like if you just get past the fact that you have a set and just say like, do I think this guy is bluffing when he jams for pot into two people who are uncapped? If you just ask yourself that question, it sounds a lot more plausible to say no. And then when you ask yourself, well, what do I beat that's not a bluff? Not very much. Probably nothing. Yeah. Then you know, 
it's a, it's a fold, and you can kind of forget about the fact that you have a set. So Spovada, could Mark go back and look, or like did he have like a one uh, yeah. week window? No, that's true. It is it is Bovada. Um, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, excellent. Down at the very bottom of the email, uh, results on Bovada, you can look up opponents' hands the next day Ooh. to see what they had. Um, Big Blind had Ace King. Oh wow! And uh, Hijack had Pocket Jacks with the Jack of Hearts. Wow. Yeah, Edge Case. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I feel too. But, yeah. I mean, I guess exactly Ace King. I guess, like, that's... I think that's something that was missing from, like, my analysis is, like, oh, some people do cold call with exactly Ace King, and then they check the flop, and they bet the turn, and then it gets there on the river, and it gets improved. Like, I I should have listed that. We talk a lot about the possibility of him having Ace King after the flop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... that's, I would say that's an error in our analysis, but I also think it's still a fold, and this is just a weird edge case. I I agree with that. So, yeah, yeah, don't don't worry about it, Mark, and uh, hopefully we're able to provide a useful gut check for you here. I, I still like your fold. I still think it's correct. And I still think that even if it happens not to be correct, um, I still think it like speaks well to your like poker game and skill and temperament that you're willing to fold here. You know, like I think overall the ability to make folds like this is really good and is going to make you a lot more money than whatever you like might theoretically have cost yourself in this situation if you made a mistake, which I don't think you did. Yep. Totally agree. Um, so, I guess the specific question. So, okay, so here's here's the rest of what he said. Uh, not sure about my fold. Is it too nitty? I just find people have it uh, more often than not when shoving into two people. The only bluffs he can have from the turn are ace of hearts, queen, or ace of hearts, jack. But wouldn't he just check and take the showdown value? He could have ace king or ace ten and made two pair on the river, but he didn't three bet with ace king or four bet with ace king, I guess. Um, and he'd be overvaluing his hand, betting it into two players. Um, ace king and ace ten are the only hands he has for value that maybe bets that I could beat. Um, also, if they bet, do they bet all in or just a smaller blocking bet? Um, yeah. Did I put too many hands in the big flop, the big blind preflop calling range? We've kind of discussed that already. Um, Yeah. So uh, other questions. He said, if I if I do raise the turn um, and big blind calls, do I check back uh, the river? It's an interesting question. So if if the action on the turn goes bet raise hijack folds big blind calls, do you go for value on the river? I think mm, yes. Yes, I think you have to. I I, th- I think a lot of people are. Um, they, they may slow play some flushes. I think probably don't see a lot of people just calling straights there. Maybe you do. Yeah. Also, like, it's easier. It's almost easier. Like, you can definitely be bluffing in that spot. Like, I don't know. I definitely could think, like, if I suspected the big blind of not being great, then if I showed up with, like, a pair and a draw, and I see somebody bet the turn, I'd be like, ah, oh, man. If I raise, then like the three better has to fold everything or like a lot of things, and it looks really strong. I don't know. Um, I feel like I would want to be balancing. I I I would at least think I would be balancing bluffs also uh, if it goes bet raise on the turn. At least sometimes, at least a little bit, at least a mm. tiny little bit. Um, yeah, I would bet the river in that case. Um, if big blind jams over my turn raise, uh, I guess I call because of what he had left behind, but I'm not happy about it, which I agree. And I kind of already discussed, like, I think that's part of the problem with raising the turn is you are going to end up putting in a lot of money behind when you like, whatever the upside of is of raising the turn, which is mostly protection. The downside is, is pretty 
bad and expensive when you do run into better hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for writing, Mark. I think it was an interesting hand. I'm sure it was frustrating in the moment and then you know, probably extra frustrating to see the results that you actually would have won. So hopefully we can uh, salve some of that pain for you. And I can I can tell you I would have folded in this situation. And I like your fold and I like that you are willing to make this fold. Yep. 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 No, it's really good. It's really good. That's like a pain that you get in. I mean, it happens in live poker. It's a pain I know. Um, I probably should know this pain better than I do know it, but like it definitely happens. <laughs> it's like part of it's like part of what you have to do. Like, it, and you decide somebody's never bluffing, and they're probably not overvaluing a hand either. And then you fold, and either they have like the one hand you can beat, or they just like it's like oh my read on this person was wrong, and they just you know proudly. They just, just, you know, they just probably flip over, even though there's no showdown. They're just like so proud of having made what they think is a good hand, but was like less good than the hand you folded. And it's, yeah, it's part of poker. It's part of poker. Or they kindly flip it over. They, they think they're doing you a favor because they've yeah. seen you tank and they're like, don't worry, man, I had it. Yeah, really had it. I had a better hand than that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You think that's it? No, no. You did not have it. You did not have it. I had it. Okay, buddy. Okay, buddy. <laughs> you, you win had, the pot, but I had it. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways that poker inflicts pain on us, uh, yeah. and I think you just. I mean, you just, I mean, again, to, to invoke the more Tommy Angelisms, like the better that you get at dealing with them and the more that you develop strategies for dealing with them, that's as much an advantage you can have over the field as, uh, you know, being able to three bet better or hand read better or, or anything else. And, you know, arguably it's more important. Yeah. And like, it's also a good time to pass to the meta level, like yet again, like every time you're feeling pain, um, other people are too, and you can handle it reciprocally better than they can. Like maybe in this spot, other people wouldn't be feeling this exact pain, but for every spot that you're feeling pain and they're not, they're feeling pain in some other spot and you're not. Um, and if you can just, if you can just, you know, realize that, like I find that's useful. I'm just like, oh, okay, this is pain, and if if I can handle it better than the other guy, like that, that's good for me. And also, you know, it's good for me just intrinsically not to let the pain get to me too much. Um, I think that could be part of one reason that athletes like tend to do well at poker or a lot of them do like when you're working out, it's very clear, you know, your, your, your competitors either a are not training in which case like your pain is, is giving you an advantage or B like they're feeling pain too. And your job is to train better and, and just deal with it. So speaking that, of athletes it, playing poker, uh, Michael Phelps was at Maryland live yesterday. Oh, wow. Which yeah. he, he used to be there a lot. And then I think kind of around the time that he got in trouble with like the weed picture and whatever else, like I, I imagine someone advised him like, yeah, maybe stay away from poker for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Cause I had not seen him for a long time. And then, uh, yeah, he was there yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I always picture him now with the big, like red splotchy marks from like the suction cup thing that he does. Um, and, and like playing poker, in that <laughs> which is a, an implausible mental picture in a lot of ways, but, but it amuses me enough that I preserve it. So, Hey, that's cool. He's tall and he's, you know, broad. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You you don't usually miss it when he's there. He's yeah. uh, he's, he's a very noticeable man. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, thanks. It was good talking to you. Uh, yeah, it was great. Mark, for, for writing in. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
Yeah, no, thanks. And uh, and thank you, Sean, who, for reasons I cannot reveal, is going to have a hard time editing this episode. So, <laughs> quick extra shout out. I, I think he's going to enjoy it, though. I think yeah, he, he will. He will. But, like, I've been hard on Sean today. And I'm sorry, Sean. Thank you. A public a public thank you for private work that you're going to have to do. <laughs> well, and it, it's it's going to pain him not to be able to use some of the Easter eggs that are. Yeah, not for not for several years. Not for several. There's a there's a there's a that there's a there's a statue of limited. It's like uh, it's like you know, Rhapsody in Blue that just entered the public domain. And yeah, maybe in ten years we can use some of these Easter eggs. Good, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> Uh, have a good week, Andrew. You as well. Take care. I need some kind of pill Or the devotion of a car I'm alive The fair passage of a bill And who will sign us into law I know you won't